So it's a few days after the 2016 presidential elections, and it appears, at least from my Facebook feed, from my friends, that the world is ending. And that reminds me that there was a time when the world didn't even exist. When all in the universe was utter blackness, a chaotic vacuum of the deepest silence imaginable. In other words, things could be worse. But from within this chaotic darkness emerged all of a sudden probably the most famous words that we've ever heard. Yes, we can. No, not Obama, the other guy. Let there be light. And there was light. We all know this phrase as marking the beginning of the story of creation from the book of Genesis, the first book of the Torah and the Hebrew Bible. And it's our subject for today. There is so much we can discuss with the story of creation, so many directions we could take this episode, it's hard to know what to talk about and what to leave out for another time. But let's tell the story, consider some of the Jewish traditions and values that emerge, and hopefully we'll be able to get the big picture. I'm your host, Jason Harris, and this is Jew Ought to Know. I would say to young people that we can do everyone our share to redeem the world. So if you remember the last episode, I talked about how the big picture of the Hebrew Bible can be boiled down to three major themes. The story of the Jewish people, the relationship of humanity to God and of God to humanity, and our relationship to each other. All these things begin playing out in the first few chapters of the Torah. From the six days of creation to Shabbat to Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden, we begin laying out interpretations of these ancient stories to form our earliest values and traditions. As John Levinson of Harvard Divinity School notes in the Jewish Study Bible, one takeaway theme of Genesis could be the spread of human wickedness, the refusal of humans to accept our creaturely status, and the blurring of the boundary between the human and the divine, which brings catastrophe upon ourselves. This is also obviously a description of the presidential election process. As to when the book of Genesis came about and who wrote it, it's really obscure. Some scholars date the origins of Genesis to the 10th century BCE, others say it was written mostly in the 6th. What seems to be clear is that the book is a combination of at least two and probably three different authors. We know this because Genesis, like me, sometimes tells the same story twice, but relates different details and emphasizes different conclusions for each story. Unlike me, they don't always get funnier the second time around. But we'll talk about how there are actually two different stories of creation in the first few chapters, and they sometimes contradict each other. As to why the biblical authors would stitch together separate works telling the same story but in ways that contradict, there are a number of theories. Perhaps the most compelling idea is that Genesis is the product of two separate centers of power in ancient Israel. If you remember when I talked about Hilkiah finding the book of Deuteronomy and how it seemed to be written as a justification for the rule of King Josiah, we have something similar at work here. Long story short, during this era, you had two separate Jewish kingdoms in the land of Canaan. The kingdom of Judah in the south around Jerusalem and the kingdom of Israel in the north around what is today the northern half of Israel and the west bank on a map. These two kingdoms didn't always get along, but they did share a common Jewish history. Each kingdom would have written its own version of Judaism's origins in order to bolster their historical legitimacy and ideological outlook. But later on, 
At the time that Genesis was written, they needed to put their two stories together in order to unify the people around one compelling narrative. You can imagine if the Democrats and Republicans each set out to write their own history of the origins of the United States, but then had to combine the two in a way that would not only get accepted by each party, but also make sense. You might get two stories about George Washington, but describing him in different ways. So if the editor of the history of the United States was trying to put together a chronology of George Washington's life, he or she would take a few lines from the Democrats, then add in a few lines from the Republicans, then added more lines from the Democrats, and basically switch off and on until the whole story was told. But if the editor left out some crucial things, he or she might, in the next chapter, retell the story of Washington's life again, even though there could be some really obvious contradictions. And this is the situation that we have throughout the book of Genesis. It's a reminder, I think, that we are talking about human documents that were written for a purpose. These books and stories are meant to be understood symbolically, not always literally. All right, so let's get into it. I have to admit, what's most interesting for me is learning about where these stories come from and why they came about, and less so the theology and philosophy behind them, because that's not really my area of expertise. But this is Jew I Don't Know, and we're here to learn a little bit about everything. So here we go. The Bible begins with the phrase, Bereshit bara Elohim et hashamayim et haaretz. When God began to create heaven and earth. Right away we notice something big and unique to Judaism. Unlike other creation myths in ancient societies, God in the Bible does not have a creation story. God is just there. Jews assume that God is pre-existing and omnipotent and invisible, not existing in any one place or the other in physical form. And this was a huge change from other societies that had carefully constructed origin myths for their gods and often located them around certain geographical locations. The notion of a single omnipotent god whom the Jewish people would come to have a relationship with sets the stage for the entire rest of the Bible and all of subsequent Jewish traditions. And we haven't even finished the first sentence yet. This is also one of the major reasons why Jewish tradition is actually very accommodating to scientific explanations for our physical world. I mean, if we change the phrase to when the universe began to create heaven and earth, we would probably all think of the Big Bang. So there really isn't a good reason why accepting the notion of the Big Bang would invalidate the notion of God creating everything in the first six days. It's fairly compatible. And other stories in Genesis are also fairly compatible with ideas around evolution, for instance. So in the first day, we have God beginning to create heaven and earth by declaring, let there be light, and separating the light from the dark to create day and night. On the second day, the Bible tells us that God separates waters below from the waters above, creating the sky. On the third day, God creates the land, called earth, and names the waters created on day two, seas, and creates plants, specifically grass, plants with seeds, and plants with fruit. That's the third day. On the fourth day, God creates the sun, the moon, and the stars to provide light during the day and at night. Which is weird, because uh, didn't God already create light on the first day to separate day and night? God's going to do this again? We're like four sentences in and already there's a contradiction? Don't worry, don't worry. Remember, I said that Jewish tradition doesn't take things so literally. 
This fourth day leads us to what might be considered the first Midrash of the Torah. And you ought to know what a Midrash is. A Midrash is a story that the Jewish sages made up to explain something in the Bible that isn't explained, or doesn't quite make sense, or could use an expansion and a further explanation. There are Midrashes, or Midrashim in Hebrew, for just about everything. And in this case, the Midrash explains that the original light, the light from the first day, was a kind of divine light that illuminated the universe which was in the process of being created. But pretty soon, as with just about everything in the opening chapters of the book of Genesis, and let's be honest, the Electoral College, we humans screwed everything up. Between our bad behavior that led the world to get flooded, and again our behavior at the Tower of Babel, God has withheld that divine light until the coming of the next world. So in the meantime, we'll have to make use of the sun, the moon, the stars, and, apparently unforeseen by the all-knowing God, cell phone flashlights. So the first day was heaven and earth and light. The second day was the sky. The third day was land and plants. The fourth day was the sun, moon, and stars. The fifth day God created fish, birds, sea monsters, and living things that crawl. Presumably that includes spiders. To which we owe the great Jewish tradition from this story that everyone makes mistakes. And finally, we get to day six, the creation of land, animals, and humans. And here's where things start to get interesting. Now, you know two different versions of the creation of humans, but you probably think they are from the same story, but they're not. From the first chapter of Genesis, we learn two main things about the creation of humans. The first one, which is what you're familiar with, is the notion that people are created in the image of God. There is, of course, an entire theology and philosophy and interpretation associated with this notion, but I'm going to save that for another time. But the second thing to know about the creation of humans in the first chapter, which you probably didn't realize, is that man and woman are created together at the exact same time. I remember being completely blown away by this when I first learned about this in a Bible studies class in grad school. I mean, it wasn't until I got to grad school that I even heard this part of the story. I thought the whole point was that the patriarchy is taking from the Bible where Eve was created from Adam's rib to justify thousands of years of treating women as subordinate to men. And yet here we have in the very first chapter, verse 27, that God created men and women at the exact same time. And not for nothing, didn't even give them names. Then told them to be fruitful and multiply and gave them total rule over all the creatures on the planet. So... Where did this story of Adam and Eve and the rib come from? And the answer is chapter 2 of the book of Genesis. We get to the end of the story of creation in chapter 1, and then in chapter 2, tell the whole thing all over again. Except this time, while there are still six days of creation, the order is mixed up. For example, in chapter 1, plants come first, then animals, then man and woman at the same time. But in chapter 2, things go differently. The first thing that happens is God creates a man, and not in God's image, but by blowing the breath of life directly into this man. And then God creates plants, specifically a garden called Eden and a tree of knowledge. We'll talk about that the next episode, so don't worry about it now. But after creating man and then plants, God said that it's not good for this man to be alone, so God created dogs. No, but actually, that's really what happened. God created animals and allowed man to name them all. 
And finally, after putting this man to sleep, we get to the story we all know, that God removed one of his ribs and used it to build a woman. And suddenly there were two humans, and the Bible tells us they were naked but not ashamed. And so ends chapter 2 and the two similar stories of creation. Why we have these two stories of creation that are nonetheless different goes back to my earlier point about the need to reconcile two similar but slightly different creation myths from two separate powers of Judaism. This was in the first millennium BCE. Whoever was trying to reconcile these two stories perhaps just threw up his hands at some point and said, whatever, I'll put them both in. We're going to come back to the story of these first two humans in the next episode, who, by the way, have not been named at this point. The Hebrew word used to describe this first human is Adam, or Adam, which means human. Which is also interesting because the word Adam, like the word human, doesn't have a specific gender. When we go back to the first version of creation in chapter 1, where it says that God creates both man and woman at the same time, the order of events is that God created the human in God's image, then referred to them as male and female. It's only in the second chapter, after we already got through the whole story of creation, that we read about this business with the rib. There are a lot of ways to interpret these events, of course. But since throughout Jewish history we often interpret stories in line with our contemporary conventions, I like to think that this first story of creation can resonate today. At a time when we are thick in a national discussion about the role of women in society and sexual assault and equal pay and healthcare and more, I think it's high time that we emphasize this first chapter of Genesis, in which men and women are created at the same time, and both in the image of God. If we can pull down at least one column of religious justification for the subordination of women to men, we can further weaken support for that glass ceiling. As we'll get into more in the next episode, even the story of Adam's rib doesn't have the connotations that we often assume. According to Jewish tradition, God didn't use Adam's rib to create woman in order to make her dependent on Adam. God used the rib as a reminder to Adam that an essential piece of him was forever bound up in his partner. And therefore that loyalty to each other, that essential connection to each other, was what would distinguish humans from the other creatures. Where we today inject our national politics and policies with our religion, which is probably not a good idea, we do it anyway, I think we would do well to focus on that first story of creation. I wonder what would change, what would be different, if we emphasized this notion that we were all created together at the exact same time, and not one that came before the other. And that for a while, those original two humans, male and female, were alone on this earth together, and only had each other for support. Well and dogs. Okay, so yes, I did leave out one entire day of creation, the seventh day, the Sabbath, Shabbat, when God rested. At some point soon, I will do an entire episode around Shabbat, so we'll save it for then, but I mean, of course, I have to acknowledge that while creation was six days, the entirety of the creation experience lasted for seven. And why seven? No one really knows. Seven seems to have been an auspicious number in ancient Middle Eastern cultures, but it's unclear what that number was originally connected to. So there are still plenty of mysteries out there. 
Okay, so the next episode is going to contain nudity, snakes, and murder. But it's not a Samuel L. Jackson movie. It's the story of Adam and Eve and the Tree of Knowledge and Cain and Abel. I hope you'll tune in. See you then.